following is not a test of the emergency wrapped in podcast broadcasting system. This is a special episode of wrapped in podcast. We're going to call it wrapped in podcast episode 7.5. We received a mayday from T Kyle King who has come across uh, piecing together the elements of twin peaks, the return, the missing pieces from firewalk with me, firewalk with me and the original series to crack the code. Uh, to finish the case and has here with a new thesis, a sort of unified field theory of Twin Peaks, the return. There was a meeting of the secret masters of wrapped in podcast, and it was decreed uh, that a special episode must issue. And we thought it important to uh, get this out before episode eight. And at this point, I'm going to leave it to Kyle. All right. Thank you, JR. And, and let me begin by giving uh, uh, credit to, uh, to four different people here. Uh, I don't want to claim full credit uh, for myself. Uh, you know, last, last week uh, on episode seven of Wrapped in Podcast, uh, I, of course, was uh, distressed, as many people were, regarding some of the implications regarding the re- relationship between Doppel Cooper and uh, potentially Audrey Horn and, and uh, with Diane. Uh, and, and so I want to give credit, first of all, to Ken, who uh, suggested that there could be an alternative theory we just hadn't heard yet, and perhaps Annie Blackburn could figure into that. Uh, I want to give credit to you, Jr., uh, for mentioning that when Doc Hayward was talking to Frank Truman, he talked about the end of season two, but he didn't really mention anything about his showdown with Ben Horn. And of course, Jeff uh, mentioned that uh, the scene with Hawk and Frank Truman uh, really showed us how the return tied up with uh, Firewalk with Me and the missing pieces. So uh, this is really, uh, I think, a coalescing of all of our thought processes. This really kind of started to come together for me and really click in my head as I was listening on Friday evening to Wrapped in Podcast Episode 7. So uh, as I view it, this is kind of, as you said, the unified field theory. It's sort of the the Compson appendix to Wrapped in Podcast Episode 7, uh, but it's really more uh, all of our thought processes coming together, and I kind of feel like I just woke up first from the dream that we were all having and called the three of you in the middle of the night and said, let's meet at the uh, Great Northern for breakfast. Uh, and I do also want to give uh, a shout out to uh, a friend of ours and loyal fan of the show, Ruthie, uh, who on Saturday went to uh, went to the beach and apparently only put sunscreen on one leg uh, and is hurting a little bit. So Ruthie, feel better soon. Hopefully, hopefully this will uh, help ease the pain. So here is what I'm thinking. We know, <clears throat> excuse me, We know from episode seven that the left ring finger is the spiritual finger. And the missing pieces show us that the owl ring that was on the table in the red room left the Black Lodge with Annie Blackburn, who wore it on her spiritual finger when she went to Calhoun Memorial Hospital. Then when Doppelcooper awakened at the Great Northern Hotel in the final scene of season two, he immediately asked how Annie was and learned that she was at the hospital. Doppelcooper then uh, went into the bathroom, smashed his head into the mirror, and was, of course, taken to the hospital, where we now know from episode seven of The Return that an hour later, he was seen by Doc Hayward leaving the ICU. What I'm now thinking is that Ken was right, that Doppelcooper went to the ICU to see Annie Blackburn and specifically to get the owl ring from Annie while she was still dazed from her ordeal in the Black Lodge. Now, we saw in the missing pieces that the nurse took it from Annie first. 
But tracking down the nurse using his detective skills and then taking the ring from her is why it took Doppelcooper an hour to retrieve the ring rather than just five minutes. Doppelcooper probably got the ring from the nurse by letting her know that it was stolen property, which, after all, she knew was true since she's the one who stole it, and he then took that property into custody from her. That's why there's not an unsolved 25-year-old hospital homicide, because at this point, Doppelcooper needed to make a clean getaway, so it was useful to him to pretend to be the good Dale and behave accordingly. We know from the secret history of Twin Peaks that Doppelcooper then went to meet with Major Briggs, who's the man on this side of Glastonbury Grove who knows the most about the Black Lodge. Briggs realized there was a problem. He sent out the mayday, and a day later, he either died in a fire like the log lady's husband, or more likely, he faked his own death. Either way, he then began slipping through time somehow, probably by entering and exiting the White Lodge in pursuit of Doppelcooper. And that's why Major Briggs's fingerprints keep showing up at crime scenes, because he's tracking Doppelcooper and he's secretly visiting the sites of his evil deeds. Getting back to Doppelcooper, we know that after he left Twin Peaks, he went to Philadelphia. He needs to find Jeffries to help him manufacture Dougie. And he needs help finding Jeffries, and in particular, he needs someone that he can trust to get him access to the files that the FBI has without anyone else knowing. Now, who can he ask to help him out? Gordon is a company man. Albert is a skeptic. But Diane is perfect. She's loyal. She's able to keep his confidences. And she has, we suspect, an unrequited love for Dale. He manipulates that affection for his own gain, and he responds abusively when he gets what he wants. She brings the files to him, expecting that there's going to be probably, you know, night of passion, probably some emotional connection. And rather than following through with that, uh, what Doppelcooper instead delivers is an emotional, certainly, probably physical and possibly sexual assault. And it's important that we not minimize Diane's strong reactions in episode seven. This is not the reaction of someone who's merely uh, dealing with the fallout of a bad breakup or a one-night stand with a co-worker who never called her back. I mean, this is someone who's been the victim of a morally repugnant and deeply traumatic criminal assault by a genuinely evil man. And this leaves Diane not only understandably scarred, but unable even to report the crime to her employers, because doing so will implicate her as having been complicit in Doppelcooper's scheme to gain access to the confidential FBI files on the disappearance of Philip Jeffries. Accordingly, all Diane can do is leave the FBI without a word and never discuss with her former colleagues the fact that she saw Doppelcooper after his disappearance from Twin Peaks. Doppelcooper then goes off to South America in search of Jeffries. While he's there, through nefarious means, he amasses a fortune. He possibly bumps off the FBI's man in Colombia while he's at it. And he does this in order to fund the manufacture of Dougie, and as the time approaches for him to go back into the Black Lodge, to finance the glass box research that will close the back door exit through which the Good Dale might escape. As we see in the one known photograph of Doppelcooper taken during this 25-year period, he lives on a palatial estate in Rio de Janeiro, which is on the southern coast of Brazil, near the border with Argentina, which is where Jeffries, in whatever form he now exists, is hiding out in Buenos Aires. So now, Doppelcooper has everything he needs to succeed, 
so he no longer needs things. He's able to focus on what he wants, and Bob is with him, and what Bob wants is Garmin Bosia. So Doppelcooper, knowing his days on this side were numbered, manufactured Dougie Jones. He did this for the purpose of having a substitute to send back into the lodge when the time came. Dougie, of course, is unaware of his true nature, and he's apparently undergoing periodic disappearances, not unlike the ones that Major Briggs is undergoing. Dougie lives his life, he gets a job, he gets married, he has a son, and as his time to be drawn back into the Black Lodge nears, Doppelcooper switches out the wedding ring on Dougie's spiritual finger for the owl ring, so that the Lodge spirits will be drawn to Dougie rather than to Doppelcooper. And it's noteworthy here that although Dougie wore both rings on his left ring finger, Dougie was manufactured rather than born, so he doesn't have a soul. He may have a spiritual finger, but he doesn't have a spirit. And that's why, despite wearing a wedding ring with an inscription that shows how much his wife loves him, he shows no corresponding love for his wife. Dougie's having regular assignations with a prostitute, and he's engaging in irresponsible gambling and drinking that's threatening his home life. Soon after, the wedding ring on the spiritual finger of this soulless simulacrum is replaced by the owl ring, Dougie's entire arm goes numb. He is literally without feeling. So when he's sucked into the lodge in Doppelcooper's place, his arm shrivels first, he disappears in a puff of smoke, and the owl ring is returned to the same table from which the good Dale noticed it was missing 25 years earlier. Meanwhile, knowing Briggs is hot on his trail, Doppelcooper captures and tortures Briggs, cruelly denying him food before force-feeding him Dougie's wedding ring as the equivalent of a letter under the fingernail, because after all, Bob is with him. Doppelcooper then murders Briggs by decapitating him, but this frees the spirit of Briggs in the form of a giant disembodied head to go warn the good Dale once he's no longer in the lodge. We know that when Cooper fell out of the Black Lodge and into non-existence, he fell back in time to the night Sam and Tracy were killed. When he then drops down onto the porch by the sea with the window into the space box, there are some time shifts occurring, some of which are physically visible. And the sudden appearance of Ronette Pulaski when he descends back into the fireplace room after being on the roof of the space box indicates that another time shift has occurred in the meantime. In fact, this time shift takes him back to his original exit point from the Black Lodge. Because Doppelcooper was driving the car when the evil evolved arm dropped the Goodale into non-existence, the Goodale fell back in time, and by the time he re-entered the fireplace room from atop the space box, enough time had passed for us to be back at the point at which Doppelcooper is in the car, nearing the moment at which he's to be sucked back into the Black Lodge. In Episode 7, Constance tells Cynthia that Major Briggs has been dead for five or six days. Chronologically, it seems like it may be possible that Doppelcooper murdered Major Briggs during the period between the glass box murders and the Dougie transference slash electric outlet oddity slash Garmin Bosia Barfapalooza. Put differently, according to what we're able to discern of the timelines, it seems like it's possible that Garland Briggs's disembodied ethereal head appeared to Dale Cooper to say the words Blue Rose at or immediately following the moment that Doppelcooper was beheading the Major's physical body. So, to cover his tracks, Doppelcooper murders Ruth, fortunately not our friend Ruthie whom I mentioned earlier, put puts Briggs's body in her apartment, and uses Phyllis to frame Bill Hastings, whose secretary he intends to manipulate and intimidate. 
This, incidentally, is why Doppelcooper wanted Ray freed and wanted Ray alive in Episode 7, because we know from the premiere that Hastings' secretary will only talk to Ray, and Doppelcooper found out from bugging Daria's phone call that Ray didn't get the coordinates before being taken to Yankton Penitentiary. In the midst of all this doubling, Doppelcooper's scheme has served a double purpose, because Bill Hastings' secretary, Betty, is Betty Briggs. She knows who Doppelcooper really is, which is why she will only deal with Ray. It probably explains the curiously coincidental timing of Ray's arrest if Betty turned him in to avoid having to answer his questions. Knowing his time was coming and that Major Briggs was working on this side of the red curtains to make sure that he returned to the Black Lodge, Doppelcooper targeted Betty to lure Garland back out into the open. Then he killed Garland and framed Bill Hastings to intimidate Betty into cooperating, or I guess doppel-cooperating. I think that the coordinates that Betty has have something to do with Bob getting what he wants. My suspicion is starting to be that She's going to provide him with coordinates that she knows not from Bill Hastings, who, after all, is a high school principal and probably has no reason to know such things, but things she knows from her husband, her supposedly late husband, Garland Briggs. I think they're the coordinates that will allow Doppelcooper and Bob to enter and take over the White Lodge and be able to release pain and suffering throughout the world, which, of course, will produce all the Garmin Bosia that they would ever need. Now, what about the uh, the Audrey Horn reference in Episode 7? I think the Audrey Horn red herring in Episode 7 was a Father's Day sleight of hand. It was simultaneously a deliberate misdirection by Mark Frost, and it was an erroneous connection by Warren Frost. Doc Hayward misinterpreted why Doppelcooper was in the ICU because his recent wrenching encounter with Ben Horn over Donna's paternity understandably had him in a frame of mind to focus on Ben Horn's daughters. Of course he thought about Audrey after what he'd just been through over Donna. Richard Horn isn't Audrey's son. He's Jerry's. We've got further evidence of that because after hitting the kid, Richard returned the borrowed truck to the farmer to whom it belonged to hide his involvement with the accident. Then Richard went to his father. He got Jerry high on the sparkle that he got from Red. He ditched his dad in the woods. He stole Jerry's car to get away, and he left his threatened, stranded, drug-addled father lost, forgetful, and fearful in the Twin Peaks woods. And that's why, even though he's a bookhouse boy, Jerry Horn is in such a state at the beginning of Episode 7. So, in Firewalk With Me, Mike wore the owl ring on his little finger. That's the same finger on which Cooper wore the ring that the giant took from him at the start of season two and returned to him when he discerned the meaning of a dream that was actually a message foreshadowing an encounter the good Dale would have with Laura Palmer in the Black Lodge 25 years later, just prior to the time he was scheduled to swap places with Doppelcooper. The little finger in palmistry, as Jeff could tell you if he were here, is the mercury finger. That's the finger that's about balance, and indeed, with the Black Lodge and the White Lodge, with the corresponding forces of good and evil, with the doubling and the doppelgangers of good coop and bad coop, that's what Twin Peaks was all about during the first two seasons. And then after Firewalk With Me and going into season three, we've seen it tip, as Ken points out regularly, into the grimdark phase. What we're seeing is it going out of balance. It's no longer about the mercury finger, the little finger. It's about the spiritual finger, the ring finger. That's what's the key here. 
That's the finger on which Annie and Dougie wore the owl ring. That's the finger on which Dougie wore the wedding ring that was found in Briggs's body. And so, of course, that's the finger that's reversed on Doppelcooper, who is literally the dark mirror image of the series hero. And as Gordon Cole would say, you think about that, Tammy. Wow. I mean... At this point, I may as well just stop the podcast, stop watching the show entirely, because I already know what's going to happen. I should start uh, predicting what uh, unmade projects by David Lynch and Mark Frost, like the <clears throat> TV show The Lemurians, are actually about, uh, since you've already figured it out, Kyle. Yeah, as they say, that's a, that's a lot of knowledge you just dropped. Well, and again, I have to give credit where credit is due. I, I literally was listening to episode seven of Wrapped in Podcast and, and the things that everyone else was saying, and it just it all just started falling into place. And I'm glad that uh, someone is getting the benefit of, of me not being able to sleep for every 15 minutes, waking up and going, wait a minute, that, that lines up with that, doesn't it? I'll be damned. So uh, uh, hopefully we put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this episode because I don't want to ruin it for anybody else. But yes, that is, in my opinion, the Twin Peaks unified field theory. And I, I know it would mess up the podcast and the sound quality. So I'm not literally going to drop the mic, but uh, I, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks very much. We're going to leave it at that. It, hopefully you can get a chance to listen to this before episode eight is broadcast. I'm going to get this out. I promise the evening of Saturday, June 24th, uh, Pacific Coast time. So uh, you'll be able to watch uh, tomorrow night's episode of Twin Peaks. This is Wrapped in Podcast, and we're out. Thanks. Thanks.